Well, it really is our delight that you are here today, not only because we love to worship together and to celebrate what it is that Christ offers to us, but on this third Sunday of Advent, we're getting oh so much closer uh, to the birth of Jesus and what that birth looks like and how it has impact on our lives and on the world. So I'm delighted that you are here today and hope that this time will be a blessing for you as we share together in this Advent season of preparing our hearts and our minds uh, for the birth of Christ. So today I have some bad news and some good news that I need to share with you today. Don't you love when, when you hear that, right? Some good news and some bad news. And I'm going to start with the bad news. The bad news is this, and you already know both the good and the bad. The bad news is you and I are sinners, every last one of us. We can't escape it. We can't deny it. We can't run from it. We are all sinners falling short of the glory of God and recognizing that we don't quite fulfill what it is we're supposed to fulfill. That's the bad news. We're all sinners. The good news is that God offers forgiveness in and through Jesus Christ. And that forgiveness comes in and through His birth, in and through the birth of Jesus that we're about to celebrate here in just a couple of weeks. We get to be Become a part of the grand uh, journey that God desires for us to receive forgiveness and to walk a new faith and to become a new person. That's the goodness of what we get to celebrate this day and the next as we make that journey to the manger. And it's why we chose the theme Christmas Kaleidoscope because uh, this whole concept of being a sinner and receiving the forgiveness of Jesus is a powerful image, much like the kaleidoscope uh, that we identify because we are like broken pieces of glass, each one of us, somehow kind of broken and disturbed, and yet the light of Christ that comes into the world illuminates that broken glass and makes of us something beautiful and creates within us a beautiful opportunity. This Christmas kaleidoscope in and through the birth of Jesus offers us the gift to know that through the ugliness of our sin, we can become the beauty that God intended. And that's what I want to share with us today. But I've got to start with the bad news first. So I'm going to spend a few minutes kind of beating us up because we're all sinners. And we need to recognize that, realize that, and understand that before we can most fully receive and accept the good news of Jesus Christ, right? So here's the bad news. We're sinners. You already heard that, right? And in and through that sin, we need to recognize something else because for many of us, myself included, I grew up with kind of a, a list of things that were the don'ts, right? Don't do this because it's a sin. That language was not always used, but the don't was always used, right? Don't do that. And, and I grew up with a list much like you did. The list had things like don't kill people, <laughs> don't steal, right? Don't commit adultery. I mean, you know the list. And then there were a few other things that I grew up with that you may or may not have grown up with. You know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do all the… Right? There's just a list that we grew up with. And we assumed that as long as we stayed away from that list, we're good. Right? I didn't do that. I could rightfully say that or I haven't done that. Right? And so I could rightfully say that I was a perfectly fine human being. But I want you to know that the bad news gets even badder because that's not true. It is not true that a short list or even a long list is sufficient enough to identify or to define what sin is, because sin is more than any list. Sin is more than any sort of confinement that we can create as human beings, because you know what we human beings like to do? We like to create lists that we can stay away from. 
And therefore, we just make this assumption, as long as I stay away from the list, then I'm perfectly fine and I'm not really, truly, genuinely a sinner. But that's not true. In fact, if we try to confine our sin to to simply this sole bad behavior, now don't get me wrong, there's bad behavior, there's sinful behavior, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that it's not confined to a specific list that you can kind of create on a piece of paper or on a list or on a computer, right? There's much more to it. In fact, if we look at the word sin as it comes to us in the original language, it's quite broad and yet it's very specific. The word sin literally means that I've missed the mark. I've missed the mark that God intended for me. I've not quite lived up to it. I've not quite lived into it. I've not done what it is God desired for me. I've missed the mark. I want to suggest that's clearly a good definition, but we don't always know what that mark is. We don't always know how it is we're supposed to stay on that mark, and so I've got a a, a bit of a different rendering as well. For me, sin is the unwillingness to trust God with my whole self, with all of who I am the unwillingness to trust God with who I am. And and that comes all the way from Adam and Eve, right? That's what happened to them. That was their original sin was that they they thought better of what it was God had asked of them, right? Don't eat from that one tree. You can eat from any tree you want, but just the one tree, and they didn't trust God. They somehow determined that they either knew better, understood more, recognized something different, that somehow they didn't trust God with their whole lives. And I just want you to resonate with this definition just for a minute, because if indeed it's true that sin is the unwillingness to trust God with our whole selves, you and I both, I know it's true of me, I'm going to assume it's true of you, we sin every day, every single day. Because if indeed it's true that we don't trust God with our whole selves, there are components of our lives, things about which we participate, uh, things that we do, decisions we make, uh, actions we portray, in which we don't always trust God with our whole selves. And I need you to just hang on that for a minute because what that means is you're a sinner, and so am I. And every single day we stand in the need of God's grace. Not because we didn't kill today, and not because we didn't steal today, and not because we weren't an adulterer today, but because we're human and we sinned, because we neglected to trust God with our whole selves. I told you I was going to beat up on us a little bit today, didn't I? Are you feeling it just a little? I know I am. So centuries ago, the church came up with kind of a list, and I know we're not supposed to have a list, but the list is actually helpful in this particular case, because the list is what you and I would might refer to as the seven deadly sins, these, these sins that separate us from God, these sins that actually cause physical and spiritual death, these sins that, that can, can literally create a horrible atrocity in our whole lives, and, and you know the list. The seven deadly sins, they're all scriptural, but they're not going to be in a list in any specific order or from a specific set of passages, but you know them, right? Yeah, pride, lust, anger, greed, gluttony, envy, and sloth. Not the animal sloth. But you might get the image from a sloth, right? Sloth is... This list is broad enough and yet at the same time specific enough for us to better understand that when I realize these sins in my life, and oh, by the way, we kind of live into all seven of these, how much they permeate 
our lives. Because just as soon as we think to ourselves, well, I didn't kill anybody today, and I didn't steal anything, and I'm not an adulterer, therefore I'm not a sinner, you have the sin of pride. And just because you thought you didn't create a horrible thing that caused hatred or bitterness to somebody, but you sure wanted that thing or envied the thing that that person has, you are a sinner. You see, and a part of the issue here is that we, we begin to recognize that we are full of sin, that we are permeated by sin, that, we are, that it is a pervasive issue in our lives. Now, I don't need for us to feel as though we've got to flagellate ourselves because of that, but I do need for us to realize that we are sinners, every last one of us, in the need of divine grace. And that's the bad news, that we need this grace, and we don't deserve it, and we can't merit it, and we can't do anything to create it. It becomes almost a burden, doesn't it? I mean, it feels, golly, I'm just kind of, man, I came to church to feel better today, preacher. What are you doing to me? We're almost there. We're almost there. But that burden begins to sort of push on us and sort of feel like a weight on us, right? And I, uh, David, who wrote many of the Psalms, King David, who wrote many of the Psalms, he wrote uh, the first several. And in Psalm 38, he, he literally just put it this way, and this is so real, my guilt sort of overwhelms me. My guilt overwhelms me, and it's as if I, I, I can't quite get there, right? And, and that weight, it's like a burden that weighs me down. And that's what this sin is. It's a burden that weighs us down. It creates a, a kind of a chasm, a, a, a kind of a, a gap between us and God. And in fact, if we're honest, it creates a, a chasm or a gap between us and other people as well. And when we have this chasm and when we have this gap, it feels as though we're just going to fall in as if somehow I can't quite reach up. I can't quite reach the God who saves. I can't quite get into this relationship that I need or that I desire. I need help. This is our bad news. It's all the more reason that we can rely on the good news of Jesus Christ. And why in this season of Advent that we need to rely on and prepare our hearts and minds for what it means for Jesus to come into the world and what His coming into the world brings because His coming into the world brings forgiveness, salvation, a remedy for our human condition. And in many ways it starts in Matthew's Gospel where his father Joseph hears the profound word that we all need to hear in the midst of our sinfulness. Matthew chapter 1. Some of you will recall the story. Some of you may have never heard the story. And I just want us to hear it afresh today to discover why it is Jesus came. Now, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. 
All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. This is the prophet Isaiah. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. I love this story because it is so profound with regard to the grace that God offers through the birth of Jesus Christ. And a part of what we need to glean very quickly is that Joseph's story is our story. Joseph's story is kind of a messy story. And then, oh my goodness, he's engaged to this woman, and all of a sudden, uh, they're, they're, they're uh, not living together, they haven't gotten married yet, and yet Mary's uh, having a baby, and, and it's not his. <laughs> Life's messy. <laughs> and, and he wants to do the right thing. He, he wants to dismiss her because the law would allow him to dismiss her, but he wants to do it quietly so that nobody, you know, kind of gets all bent out of shape over what's happened and, and how it's going to work. And so he wants to do the right thing, right? And then he gets the message from the angel that saves him, saves us, <laughs> saves the world. And it's a powerful message that we have got to hear because our story is very much like Joseph's story. We have a messy life. <laughs> there are lots of contradictions in our own personal lives. We have sin in our own lives on a daily pervasive basis. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to focus on it, but it's real. And so our lives are very much like uh, Joseph's life, and we need what it is that Joseph hears from the angel in his dream. We need to know that somehow there's a remedy to this problem. And he gets it in a simple announcement. Mary's going to bear a son. You're going to name him Jesus. Why are you going to name him Jesus? because he's going to save his people from their sins. This is the good news, you see, because Jesus' name, Yeshua, Jesus literally means God saves. That's what the name means. And so not only is this announcement coming that you're going to name this kid and you're, not going, to, and you're going to hear about how he's going to save his people, but his name literally means he's going to save God's people. <laughs> this is good news. God's going to come to be with us, and in coming to be with us, God's going to save us from our sins. And so the very nature of who Jesus is, and by His coming, He saves us from our dilemma. He creates the possibility that has gone on for centuries prior to this time, where people tried beyond comparison to become right with God, to have their sins forgiven, to follow the law, to follow all of the uh, re regulations, to do all the right things, and somehow they couldn't quite get it right, and, and God realized this over and over again, and somehow God desired that we become reconciled, that we become one with God, that somehow we, we make this true and right, and somehow it could never work, but, but God knew that there needed to be a solution. So God offered God's only child. And God stepped into the world, Emmanuel, God with us, and brings salvation for our sins. And it becomes an amazing gift, this forgiveness. It bridges the chasm. It helps close the gap. It helps make possible life and freedom and hope and everlasting life and all in the form of a baby named Jesus, forgiveness becomes the divine answer to our human problem. And it's a problem. 
because we face it every day, and we need help and hope from it every single day. And Jesus comes to bridge that gap, right? And David, in writing his psalms, he was so good at this. He had this, this, this deep connection with God. And even though David was deeply a sinner himself, and you can well imagine the many and varied ways in which David was a sinner, but David understood the power of God's grace, and he recognized how it was God could actually bridge this gap. And Psalm 103 that David wrote says it quite simply, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. Praise God that that can be real, that it can help us in the midst of our dilemma of creating our own chasm and our own gap. And a part of what Jesus did was step into that gap and offer us hope and life because God realized it. God realized that you couldn't follow the law enough. We're too human. You couldn't do all of the regulations just right. We're too human. God realized that we were too full of sin and too full of guilt and too full of our own selves to be able to bridge that gap. And so God created a way. And God created the way long before Jesus was born. And the prophets began to foreshadow this and foretell this. Some centuries before, we've been hearing that these last several weeks when we heard about God's justice and when we heard about God's peace and this Messiah who was to come who would help us know that there was a new life, that there was a new possibility. And all of it hinged on saving us from our sins and bringing new life for this possibility. Jeremiah was one of those prophets. He and Isaiah were the two most well-known in the area and in the region, and they foreshadowed and forespoke over and over again about a new covenant and about a new way forward, and this new Messiah would help make this possible. And in part, Isaiah identified it in the 31st chapter where he simply said in verse 34 that um, I will forgive, meaning God, I will forgive their wrongdoing and never again remember their sin. So the God of all grace, the God who put all things into existence, the God who wanted a relationship with us, the God who knew that we were going to break the commandments and break every uh, understanding of that relationship and, and step fully into our own pride and envy and sloth and anger and greed and gluttony and all of those things. God said, I want a relationship with you. I love you. I forgive you in and through my son Jesus. And Jesus, therefore, becomes this Christmas kaleidoscope where the the darkness that we sometimes have in our own hearts called sin becomes illuminated by God's love and by God's mercy and by God's forgiveness and by Jesus coming into the world and offering us this hope and this life that we can be forgiven, that we can be made new, that we can be made over. It shines an amazing light on our own individual lives. I love the way the Apostle Paul wrote it when he wrote to the church at Colossae. He put it this way. He said, he, meaning Jesus, has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the good news, friends. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. 
It's not just an Easter celebration. It's not just a once and forever kind of deal. It's a, it's a once and for all that God wants the world to know that you can be forgiven. That no matter who you are, what you've done, no matter what's going on in your world, that Jesus came that you might have life and have it abundantly and everlastingly, that you might be forgiven of your very specific sins. And it's a miraculous thing. I don't pretend to fully understand it, but I am so grateful for it. Paul would likewise write about this in his letter to the church at Corinth in the second chapter when he would say, the second letter that is, when he would say, now Christ had no sin, but God had him become sin so that we through Christ could become right with God. This is how it works. This is the gift of Christ's life, his death and his resurrection. That when he comes into the world as an infant, when he steps into the world as Jesus, God saves. He becomes God with us and he offers us the hope that only God can provide in a way that only Christ can offer because Jesus saves and he saves us from our sins and he makes life as beautiful as the lights that surround us this morning because he takes our broken pieces and he makes them whole and so he offers light in the midst of our darkness he offers life in the midst of our death and most specifically, He forgives us of our sins. If only we'll seek that out. What a powerful gift this little baby is. What a wonderful joy He brings as we move towards His birth. I pray that we'll all be able to celebrate this beautiful kaleidoscope of God's love and hope, peace and justice. And today, specifically, the forgiveness of our sins. Praise be to God that it is true, that it is possible, and that it is shareable with other people. Will you pray with me? Holy and loving God, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, whose birth we celebrate in just days to come. Help us, Lord, to continue the preparation of our hearts and minds for who He is and what He brings and how it is you have come to be among us and with us so that you can indeed, God, save us from our sins. God, we are eternally grateful that you are willing and able to make that possible. God, this is our prayer that we pray in the name of Jesus, who God saves, Emmanuel, God with us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.